When it comes to addressing environmental or public health-related challenges, the conversation often centers on what we need to do to fix the problem, whether that be a warming planet or dying bees. Less focus is spent on understanding how we know what we know. How do we know the planet's warming? How do we know that certain insecticides are killing bees? The statistics that help us better understand such challenges are the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Our regular panelists are Department of Statistics Chair John Baylor and Department of Media, Journalism, and Film Chair Richard Campbell. Today's guest is Carrie Mengerson. Mengerson is a distinguished professor in statistics at Queensland University of Technology, Brisbane, Australia. She works on statistical methods and computational tools, seeking to apply them to real-world problems in health, environment, and industry. Mengerson is also the president of the International Society for Bayesian Analysis. Thank you so much for being here today, Carrie. Oh, you're welcome. It's exciting to be on. Uh, the just to get started, if we have a lot of different listeners, if you could just take a moment to explain what Bayesian analysis is, that would be great. Bayesian analysis is a type of uh, statistics. It's both a way of thinking about statistics and a way of uh, applying it or analyzing data. There's a couple of things that uh, happens in Bayesian statistics. First, we try to understand what the underlying parameters or the drivers of a model might be. So if we're trying to describe a system, then we're after um, good estimates and good understanding of the underlying dynamics or the features or the factors that drive that system. And those factors and dynamics and the way that we describe the system is through a statistical model. And we're interested in being able to estimate those um, parameters that, um, that underlie that model. So what we want to do is not just get point estimates for those parameters, but we want to understand the whole distribution of those parameters. And the way that we think about that distribution is that that sort of characterizes the uncertainty or our state of knowledge of that uh, parameter that we're interested in. The other thing that we think about then is that in doing this, we can actually um, add different types of information to our models and we do this through prior distributions. So those prior distributions might be uninformative, which means that the data tell the whole story, but they might also be informative because what we find is that very often when we're looking at a problem, we don't just have the data, but we also have a lot of other information that we can incorporate to make our estimates and our understandings much more rich. So, so I was going to ask, I'll ask Richard a question. So, so Richard, so what, what was the most confusing part of, the, of thinking about this for you? I think I would like an example. Okay. If she can illustrate this with an example. All right. So how about let's, so pulling this into the, the realm of, of kind of environmental applications, could, could you sort of flesh this out with a simple example, maybe a simple example with a, maybe one parameter that's driving the bus here? So suppose that we have a diagnostic test and that test is really, if you have cancer, then the test can be very good at diagnosing that you have the cancer. So that's the probability then that the test is positive given that you have cancer. But what happens if you go into the, the doctor and the doctor says, well, the test has come back and it's positive. So now what you really want to know is what's the probability that you have cancer given that the test is positive. 
Now, that's a very different question. And so the first one was the diagnostic capacity of the test, mm -hmm. uh, which is what's the probability that the test is positive given that you have cancer? And the other one is what's the probability of cancer given that the test is positive? So we're turning the question around now and we really want to know about that probability of cancer. And so in order to get to that then, we need to use Bayes' rule to turn that probability statement around. And we need prior information about how rare that cancer is. Mm. And that's what we do in Bayesian mm. statistics. So if we take a, a uh, natural, uh, sorry, an environmental problem, then we could think about what's the probability of a species being present in an area. And so we can then say, what's the probability of a species being present given the data that I've got. Um, so in, in another way of thinking about that is in a classical statistical or frequentist statistical problem, what we would say is what's the probability of our observations or our data set given that the species is present? But what we really want to know is what's the probability of a species being in this area or being present given the data that we've we've got available. So we're turning the problem around and that probability of presence then we can model through Bayesian statistics. Okay, so I, was that I really confusing? I understood that. Okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, I, I knew we needed to push the pause button there and because I, I saw Richard going a little green earlier. So, so it's always... <laughs> I, I have um, a... <laughs> so how much statistics can we talk about like actually can I talk about theta given x and so on I'm uh, presuming you can edit this bit out uh probably not okay <laughs> yeah so so I mean we're yes you and I can but <laughs> but but this but for for this particular group I mean what we're trying to do is we're, we you know we're we're trying to pitch this in a way that um if you were going to describe this to to the general public you know, we're thinking about how we, we want to tell the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. That's our that's our catch catchphrase and, and describing the purpose of the program. So, you know, in some sense, the question is, OK, you, you know, if you've done this really complicated model that involves using, you know, prior specification of uncertain where you're specifying the uncertainty associated with parameters are important in a model for making decisions. How ultimately do you take something that's very complex like that and then make it accessible to a larger audience? So I mean, okay. one, so one thing that that I would suggest we maybe would be a fun fun, you know, way to to begin this is to say what, what what's one of the the most interesting environmental applications you've worked on? Sure. Uh, so, um, well, there's been a number of them, and I'm and I'm proud of many of them. But if we take, for example, um, the a recent one that we've been working on, which is um, hunting jaguars in um, in the Amazon. And uh, what we wanted to do there was to create a jaguar corridor across the, um, the Amazon. So jaguars are uh, threatened species and uh, we're interested in being able to create this corridor where they will have safe movement across the, the Amazon. The problem is that we don't have a lot of data uh, to tell us about uh, where these jaguars are and how many there are. But um, so what we're interested in in the model then is what's the probability of a jaguar living or hunting or moving through a particular area given the data. But the problem is we don't have very much data. Mm -hmm. So then we have to say, well, what other information can we actually incorporate into this model that would help us? 
So the Bayesian framework then allows us to incorporate that model through prior distributions and through uh, other means of um, combining data in a, in a, or information in a very principled manner. And so the kind of information we can use is um, expert information from local people and also information from experts around the world. Oh, that, that sounds really cool. So, so did you define that corridor? <laughs> Uh, so what we did was we had to uh, work out how to um, get expert information from around the world. And of course, we, it's very difficult to take the experts to the Amazon. So we were thinking about ways, and we've been working on this for quite a while, how we actually get uh, good information from experts. And uh, this expert elicitation uh, from, from people is a, is a statistical problem all of its own. So how do we ask questions in a way that people can answer them and then we can add them to our models? So if we think about a, a little thought experiment, if I had a map in front of me and I asked you at different places on the map, how likely is a jaguar to be here? Then you might look at that area and given you're an expert on jaguars, then you might say, well, now, there's sort of 70% chance here with a plus or minus because I'm sort of not very sure about that number. And if you say that at a number of different locations, and I know the characteristics of those locations, then I can build a statistical model that will enable me to represent your understanding of where jaguars live based on the features of that landscape. Now, that gives me a statistical model of your expert information, and I can add that to my statistical model based on the very little data that I've got. And that makes a very rich model. So we then had to work out, well, we could use a map and um, that would be fine. But what if we could actually put the experts into the jungle, then that would be a lot richer and probably get us more information. But of course, we can't take the experts to the jungle, not all of them. So we took the jungle to the experts by creating some virtual reality. So we went into the jungle, we took 360 cameras, we uh, worked with the local people there, they uh, loved the cameras, they took them to places that we couldn't get to, deep into the jungle. And then we created virtual reality scenes from those 360 photos and films and then we were able to present those to experts. Uh, and from that then, we've been able to create um, better models. We've been able to use that then to identify areas that are more likely for jaguars to live and then work with the governments in, um, in Peru, and this is work that's still going on, to connect those areas and that creates the corridor. Part of that work um, is still in train for the the research that we're doing, but uh, completed there, and it's been handed over to local conservation organisations to continue the discussions with governments. But they're very excited about it. They love the virtual reality and they're all on board in, in the project. So that's very exciting for us. You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today, understanding the environment through stats. Our special guest is Queensland University of Technology Distinguished Professor in Statistics, Carrie Mengerson. You were just talking about some very technologically rich and savvy kind of ways of kind of creating this statistical model. How often are you 
And I know you've got a research group um, using these kinds of techniques to help sort of create these statistical models. Well, we've been using these kinds of uh, different technologies to improve our statistical models uh, in a number of applications. So as well as the creating the, the Jaguar corridor, we've been using these techniques for uh, saving our, or monitoring, better monitoring our Great Barrier Reef here in Australia. So the Great Barrier Reef is one of the world's natural treasures. Uh, it's 2,100 kilometres long. So it's like a lot of Europe you would cover in going from one end of the, the reef to the other, north to south. We do a lot of monitoring of the reef over the last 20 years. Um, but because it's so big, that monitoring's only happened in a small number of areas, and there's a lot of reef that we just don't have monitoring on. So how can we get information from those areas to help us improve our models of uh, the reef and reef health, uh, coral cover, fish biodiversity, the impact of cyclones and crowns of crown of thorns and so on? Well, there's any number of divers out there diving on the reef. And if we could use their photos uh, that they're taking, perhaps we could get experts to go into those photos and then tell us about the state of the reef. And we could use that information then to improve our models. So we've been doing that. We created a virtual reef, uh, which allows people then to go in onto that site and geotag their photos to different areas where they've been diving. And then we can get experts and local people to go into like to access those photos. They're both 2D and 3D and then virtual reality photos. We can go into those and extract information about what they see about coral cover and fish biodiversity and then improve our statistical models. So that's really exciting. We're working with different groups that have uh, underwater area underwater vehicles and that uh, take photos and film underwater, we can use that information as well. So it sounds like that would be establishing a baseline for kind of the, the current reef reef help. Is that, is that what that's doing? That's right. And also it's a really dynamic way of uh, modeling because there's people that will be uploading photos uh, all the time. And so then that model keeps changing. So if you imagine that you have uh, a map of the reef and the reef health, and then as people add information or add photos uh, to the the virtual reef, then that map changes. And so you're getting this sort of dynamic updating of the, the uh, health of the reef or of the underlying statistical model as people add that information. So how long has this, this model been running? So we commenced the project in 2016. Uh, we developed the uh, virtual reef at the end of uh, 2016. And then last year, we've been just finessing the statistical modeling that's underneath it. Uh, Carrie, one of the things that we ask a lot of our guests is about the way that your work or scientists' works, that statisticians' work gets translated to the general public through journalism, through news reports. And uh, you've had to do some of this work, I suppose, where your, your work gets represented to the general public. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what a journalist might do to sort of improve how they sort of report on the work of statisticians, you know, based on your own experience? 
I think it comes both ways. The statistician learns through working with journalists are the best ways to be able to tell their story. Uh, the, the journalist then also gets to learn how best to guide the statistician in telling that story. I think that there's a, a balance between being able to tell the story and being able to still be true to the the science or the statistics mm -hmm. underpinning that. And um, it's a difficult thing that we we have to learn how to, to do. Uh, sometimes the story is all about the story. <laughs> and um, and it's telling then then conveying that uh, statistics can work in a range of areas. And that can be exciting then to bring statisticians into that area. Um, so for example, we have a, a lot of um, young people here just at the moment. We have uh, our vacation research projects going where we've got stati young statisticians. So from first year, coming in to work on a project like the Jaguar project, but with koalas. So yeah. they're actually, um, we want to know how many koalas, the councils are very interested in how many koalas are in the areas that they're looking maybe for conservation or for development. And um, that's the, um, they can be tricky to see. So we're creating virtual environments where we can put experts into those environments and then say, how many koalas would live in these areas, and then we can build uh, models that would be able to predict the number of koalas in target areas for councils. So uh, students in statistics then can come in from first year to third year. They not only learn about statistical modeling, but they go out and they do sampling in the field, they take 360 photos, they build virtual reality, and then they get to interview people about what they see in those photos and then add that to their models. That's exciting for us to be able to do that. When it comes to uh, telling that story as a media story, then it could be about just the fact that we're, we're um, monitoring, uh, coming up with better ways to be able to monitor koalas to help councils. But it could also be about how young people can get involved in problems that are really important in our world through statistics, or it could be about the statistical models themselves, depending on the audience. So when you when you look at how, I'm sure that your Jaguar and reef analyses have, have gotten a lot of attention, have gotten attention in the, the mass media. And yes. what, what was it that they, what was it that was, fo what was the focus of these reports? And did they, did they dive in at all to any of the modeling in, that you, that you did? Um, in those stories, it was more about the stories. And uh, the, the, the reef project, well, both of them picked up on the, uh, the different kinds of information that we can use to improve our models and our understanding of environmental systems. So we can use data, but we can also use expert information and citizen science. And so there's a big interest in how we use citizen science. And um, there's, uh, there's a lot of problems with those kinds of data, but there's also uh, a lot of potential. So if we can learn as statisticians to better use citizen science data, then we have a really rich resource with which to um, develop our models and better understand our world. One of the problems uh, that, uh, or projects that we have that has attracted media attention and where the modeling has been important is in our development of a, a national cancer atlas. 
So in this, we've also been using Bayesian statistical models uh, because we want to be able to develop good probabilistic estimates uh, of cancer incidence and survival across Australia. And we want to be able to do that at the small area level. So there we have to be careful that we preserve privacy and we also have robust estimates. And that requires us to build uh, uh, careful statistical models and a Bayesian framework is best for being able to borrow strength from uh, neighbouring areas to improve estimates at a small area level because we, for each particular area, we don't have a lot of data, but we can borrow information from neighbouring areas to improve the estimates of um, each area. And we can also then uh, have estimates not only of incidence and survival, but also the, uh, the uncertainty around those estimates. And that's important then for managers and also for ranking those areas, understanding differences between rural and urban areas, which in Australia is a big issue in, in uh, disease and medicine and in particular in cancer outcomes. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and our discussion today focuses on some real-world application of Bayesian analysis. Carrie, what advice would you give to a young person who is at university who is interested in doing some of the work that you've been talking about, whether it's uh, the Cancer Atlas, the Koala work, the Jaguar work, um, someone who's interested in Bayesian analysis, what, what should they be thinking about as they're sort of moving through university? I find that... Uh the people who have a, a quantitative background, um, particularly a, a stats background, have a real advantage in whatever area they want to work in. There's such a demand for people with good quantitative skills, and uh, to be able that creates then the foundation for uh, going into different areas. So, if they want to come and work in, in applied areas, then they have a strong statistical background. If they, We have these students um, who are, as I said, coming in from first year to third year. They're amazing. They're picking up new statistical methods that are required for problems that they haven't seen before. Mm. And uh, they access information from the web to learn about those methods. And then they work out the coding and they work out how to apply them. But it's because they have this uh, underlying statistical foundation in their training. And then they have the adventurous uh, and uh, spirit or in, in, in the statistical sense in that they're willing to push the boundaries of, of what they know. Mm -hmm. And so having that openness in learning new methods and then just going finding teams. None of this work happens in isolation. Mm -hmm. The projects that I'm talking about require people in computer science and conservation and public health and visualization and it's very exciting to work in these teams with then the industry people as well. So people from the Great Barrier Reef Foundation, people from the Australian Institute for Marine Sciences. Uh, one of the ways that I got to work on uh, interesting projects in the Antarctic was going along to a meeting uh, where they were, there was some research being presented uh, on 
the Antarctic and saying, hey, I do stats, um, is that of interest? And thinking, well, nobody would pick that up because <laughs> you know, just, just do stats. And uh, next thing I'm doing some real, really cool work in the Antarctic on uh, on what happens if uh, you uh, the way that fuel is delivered in the Antarctic is by a helicopter and drums of fuel are dropped um, at different sites. Uh, what if a drum explodes and then you have a, a, some area that's been uh, very toxic in the soil, the soil's very thin, uh, how does that affect soil biodiversity? I thought, soil, how can soil be interesting? <laughs> but it turns out it's hugely interesting and there's a lot of dynamics that happen with all of the little bugs and species that live in soil and I never knew that until I went along to that meeting and you know, asked a question and put up my hand and was willing to work on the project. So I think having the underlying skill set, but then also the uh, finding an area of interest and going and putting up your hand and saying, can I work in this team? Mm -hmm. It's neat to hear you say that. I think one of the joys of being in statistics is being able to, to, to play in other people's space and to learn, to continue to learn about the problems that they're working on. Certainly, but I also think it's um, important to to respect that we're a profession of our own, oh, oh, and so yeah, yeah. we absolutely have um, the the ability to develop. We need to develop the methods that we're using, yeah. and so that goes hand in hand. You know, we have the by working on an application, you see that the models and the tools that we have are not sufficient for many real world applications, and we need mm -hmm. then to de to further develop the the methods and the theory and the computational tools that we have and when we develop them we can answer more questions which raises more questions which means more development of the, the theory and the methods so they go hand in hand and there's a real pipeline between the real need for good theory and then the translation of that to methods and applications and computational tools and back again. No disagreement here. <laughs> very, very good point. I'm, I'm really intrigued about some of the stuff that, that you mentioned earlier about the, the idea of citizen science. Mm. And, in, and, yes. in, and engage, that, that to me is, is really, really awesome to consider how, how that might play out in an analysis. Can, you know, so can, can you talk, the, I guess one example was your barrier reef example where you were having the divers taking the photographs at certain locations that are then geocoded in terms of where they were, were taken and then, and then having a deeper exploration of what, those, what was going on at those different sites. Right, can you give me a couple other examples of some citizen science data that you've been in using in, in analyses? Well, one example is in, if you think of uh, birds and uh, mapping of bird species, uh, so, or even understanding uh, the the dynamics of birds move, movements uh, for example so uh, there are a lot of people who are interested in bird watching and there's a lot of data that's actually collected in terms of records of uh, where people have seen birds and so we know that there's problems with that so uh, so statisticians might say oh you could never believe those records you know people mm -hmm. only record birds where they are so we're only ever going to see birds in areas if we use those records then the birds are only ever going to be in the areas where the people are <laughs> and um and so uh, and also they might misrecord uh they might uh, want to embellish their versions <laughs> of what they've seen they might not record things that they've seen there's a lot of things that can go wrong with those data and so we could throw them out but then you think, well, you know, there's a lot of data there. So 
maybe there's a real signal in all that noise. And if as statisticians, that's our job to understand the signal in all the noise and and also to be able to pull out the stories that those data that those data are telling us. And if we can do that with citizen science and come up with ways that we can uh, address the the problems that uh, that are in those data, then we've got a really rich source of information that we can use. Very cool. Well, Carrie Mengerson, Distinguished Professor of Statistics at Queensland University of Technology, thank you so much for being here today. Are you very welcome. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's departments of statistics and media, journalism and film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter or iTunes if you'd like to share your thoughts on our program. Send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.